1: I am here. Welcome to another fun takeover series. As, as most of you know, every Tuesday and Thursday, we have started to find amazing leaders who are doing great podcasts. And we want to partner up because guess what? They have lifetimes, great content that you may not never hear about. And if you like it, you can go and subscribe to that. And I know people call me crazy to do that. But I think if you learn more together, you'll be better. That is one of our goals with it. So this time, A very good friend of mine, David Lewis, who is the CEO and founder of DemandGen, is again, just like last year, collaborating with me on this amazing series. David, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Sangram. So glad to be back. I feel like whenever you and I do these collaborations, it's a little bit like, uh, well, maybe Justin Bieber and Chance the Rapper. Which one do you want to be? I I can't Uh, sing, so I'll take I'll take chance.
1: Well, the fun part is people are going to hear this every single time when we do the entire series, because you're going to have 10 of your episodes, the best of the best episodes, and you're calling it the Marketing Power Player. So Dave, just share a little bit about who you're interviewing, what these uh, episodes are all going to be about.
0: Will do. Thanks so much, guys, for uh, for being with me on this TakeOver series. I'm really proud to bring you guys some incredible leaders from our series. If you guys are not already subscribing to Demand Gen Radio, look it up. These are some of the top 10 episodes that ran in 2020. And you've got people like Heidi Malin, who is one of the top CMOs uh, around the world. Career lessons from her, Naomi Liu, who is over at EFI. She runs marketing operations there. And she's talking about a marketing automation migration that they did. Michael Madden over at Adobe on how Marketo actually does demand generation. Folks like Joe Payone at Splunk on how to build a successful demand generation strategy. David Eldred on the power of marketing driving revenue and Rob Boyce around ramping up marketing during a downturn. So many other great episodes as well, but just a really, I, I hand selected a series of episodes that not only did great on our channel, Sangram, but the content is so relevant and so important to your audience.
1: Oh, man, I I love that. I can't wait to jump into it. This is a full on series that I really wanted people to take a take a look into. So folks, uh, if you are listening this introduction for the first time, just know this is a whole series in the show notes, you're going to see more information about how do you go and check out David's Uh, radio Uh, you can also look at all the youtube series that they have started which seems to be going really really well so all those details will be in the show notes it will also tell you is this the first of the series or the 10th of the series so make sure you check the show notes out and make sure you follow dave lewis dave thank you so much for doing this thank you guys
0: All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I have Joe Payone, who is the Demand Generation Manager at Splunk. And if the name Splunk rings a bell for all you loyal listeners, I've also had Rob Mayo over from Splunk on the program, which was about being driven to success and a great podcast if you want to go listen to that one. But here we are with Joe, another member of the team. And Joe, thank you for joining me. How are things going there in San Francisco today?
2: Oh, things are going well. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Dave. Appreciate it.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you a question, which is, how was the commute this morning? And and you know the relevance of why I'm asking that, but how long did it take you to get to work this morning?
2: (laughs) The good news for me, or maybe the bad news, depending on how you look at it, is I usually leave my house around 445 in the morning. So literally no commute impact at all for me coming into the city. But I've heard a few things from people in the office that it wasn't so great.
0: Well, the reason I bring it up is because I brace for impact. Where wherever you are right now, you might want to sit down. Uh Joe is about to go on paternity leave. And that's not the brace for impact point, but he's going away on leave for 20 weeks. And so maybe your mornings are going to change quite a bit, your commute's going to change quite a bit. Uh at, I'm very, very excited for you. I'm very jealous because when I uh, raised my girls, I never got to take more than a week. And I think it's amazing that Splunk has a program for you guys to give you 20 weeks of paid paternity or maternity leave. And I'm glad that you are taking it, Joe. Um, you've, You've probably never taken that amount of time off in your career, I would think, right?
2: No, absolutely not. I've never taken anywhere near this much time off. But in fact, best case scenario, was two weeks uh, at a time. So there's a little bit of a feeling of trepidation taking this much time off, but that feeling's mixed more or less with gratitude that Splunk is offering this amazing benefit that I can spend so much quality time with my family. It's, it's a really Long time, and it's a great benefit. And they encourage everyone to take it. So That's without awesome. sounding like an advertisement for Splunk, yeah. it's really amazing.
0: Well, anybody sitting who's listening to the podcast is sitting next to a computer, has their phone handy, which is probably everybody can now go look and see what kind of job openings there are at, at Splunk so, yeah. if they're ever planning on having kids. But Google's another option, right? Because your wife works at Google and, and she had five months off there as well, which is phenomenal. I'm glad to see companies doing that, especially Bay Area companies, uh, giving that kind of benefit to employees. Awesome. So enjoy it. By the time everybody hears this podcast, you will be home spending some very, very quality time with, the, with your kids, which is great. Let's dive in. So you drive demand generation strategy over there at Splunk. Let's talk about that. But before we get to it, how about a little bit of, of the road to Splunk, um, a little bit of your background and some of the things that you did earlier in your career before we, we talk into the day in the life at, at Splunk? So where'd things begin for for Joe?
2: Sure. So I started my career off in sales, as I know many marketers have, and I did that for about two years. I was selling financial products over the phone, which is a very challenging sales role, and it gave me a a new respect or a renewed respect for for what a salesperson goes through. It's extremely difficult to do that day in and day out, and the type of selling that I was doing was obviously direct to consumer. And more or less was making 150 to 200 calls a day, many of which seemed like they were cold calls. And it was uh, a very pivotal pivotal time in my life to, to shape what I wanted to do, because I had always been very interested in data and also interested in investments, which uh, led me to, to get into finance. But I, I soon realized how, how difficult a life in sales is. And I truly respect everyone who's chosen that profession because it is not easy to do that day in and day out. So from there, I was able to make a transition into marketing, and I was fortunate enough to work at many different companies, a few different startups, uh, a few companies still still within financial services uh, of various sizes. And most recently, uh, I was at Marketo, where I was also responsible for demand generation for their commercial segment. And now that brings me to to where I am uh, at Splunk, where I've spent the past two and a half years uh, building out and optimizing our demand generation motion, which, believe it or not, when I joined Splunk two and a half years ago, while we had a robust marketing team and a product that was well-established and a lot of momentum, primarily driven through a great sales team, great product and a great great marketing team but there wasn't a demand generation function the way that we consider it so i was the first hire to to fill that role and start to develop that for the for the business
0: which is incredible because when you joined the company the company was doing just under a billion dollars in revenue about 900 right and you said you were the first um to get added to that group now since you've been there uh the company's revenue has doubled i'm sure 100 credit to you joe and and the team there um but kidding kidding aside right under a billion dollars just under a billion dollars but grown through a lot of organizations in that initial very sales driven culture and then marketing got got built out before we talk more about splunk i want to ask you a question i've never asked you joe when you were at marketo and you ran demand gen there one of the directors um What was it like marketing to marketers? Because that was the first time right in your career that you were really that was your target market was was fellow marketers. And I'm just wondering how you enjoyed that and and maybe some of the the feelings you had about the work there.
2: It's a great question, Dave. And I, I still look back, even though it was only two and a half years ago, but I look back extremely fondly about my my time there. There's something fun about marketing to marketers because you as a marketer are the target audience and you know the pain points that you're trying to solve for. And a product like Marketo, in my view, while it in some ways sells itself, there's so much that you can do with a tool like that, that being able to showcase what you can do and what you can uh, accomplish as a marketer was really exciting. Now, that coupled with the extreme talent pool that we have there. And I really want to underscore that because there were, when I was there, there was a great group of marketers across the board from product marketing to demand gen, to digital, all the way through. Uh, In addition to a great sales team and sales and and marketing alignment, there were just some really good relationships that were formed during that time in my life that I've continued forward to this day. In fact, the reason I'm at Splunk is because uh, a guy by the name of Renaud Bizet, who was running marketing operations at Marketo, came over to Splunk to run marketing operations. And uh, because of that, I became aware of Splunk and the the great opportunity that exists here.
0: Well, you know, Joe, then you owe me a little bit of thanks because I don't know if you know, (laughs) I was the one who introduced Splunk to Renault. Uh, I don't know if you. Know I that. do know that. Oh, okay. so thank you very much, Dave. <laughs> it trickle. it trickles down in this case. It's, it's not shit flowing downhill. It's good stuff. Um, building out the organization. Yeah, they, they were looking and they were, I get a lot of people who reach out to me one, either, Hey Dave, we're looking, can you help me, um, find someone for this a role or people say, you know, I'm ready for a change. Do you know of anything? And I got to know Renault very well through a customer advisory board that, uh, he and I were both on. And so when Splunk, as you said, was looking to really scale up what they were doing in demand generation and marketing operations, um, he was very happy at Marketo. There was nothing going wrong with Renault there, but the changes were happening, right? The company had gone public and then the acquisition by Visto was all taking place. And so I just said to him, I said, hey, how are things going for you? And you know, he gave me the pat answer, like, good, things are going well. I go, that's not really what I'm asking. I know of a really good opportunity. And I consider you one of the best marketing ops people out there, Renaud. Would you like me to make an introduction? Thinking he was going to say no, he goes, you know, I, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's have a chat. So I made that and the rest is history. And, and Rob Mayo, who I mentioned earlier, was already there. Um, And so it was one of the things I care so much about Rob and Rob's uh, success and and making sure that he's surrounded by great leaders and great mentors. That I'm like this is a, this is a great opportunity not only for Renault but for Rob to work alongside someone with his talent and skills. But you and I really didn't know each other and when you were at Marketo, which is which is interesting, by the way. One small segue to your point about how fun it is to market to marketers. When I started Demand Gen in 2007. Uh, Marketo didn't even exist back then. It was just pretty much Eliqua and other brands that have since for the most part gone away. I would always need to demonstrate to people what marketing automation could do. So, you know, what I did, Joe, I do what, what any person would, would naturally do. I built a completely fictional company and I built a website and I tied the marketing automation system into that. And it was this, the company was called iTimeware because that's when the iPhone came out and Apple was putting i on everything and the iMac and the iPhone and the iPod. And so uh, iTimeware was a a time travel software company, obviously fictional company. Um, And uh, I would demo the power of marketing automation through this fictional company and say, hey, so you wanna know what nurturing is all about? Go there and download a free trial of the iTimeware software, which of course there is actually something you could download, but it didn't didn't let you travel through time. But I found it really fun, like you, to like show the power of marketing technology and marketing automation to marketers. The thing that I would say is, um, and then, now let's move to Splunk, is when you were marketing and creating content and coming up with programs, How different is your demand generation strategy today with Splunk's target market as opposed to Marketo's? And, you know, like, how has that experience changed for you?
2: Yeah, it's a great question because, again, at Marketo, we were the target audience. We were the marketers who were ultimately part of the buying center that we were targeting. So in a way, you've got a leg up because you can help shape content with a little bit more authority and you'd be a subject matter expert over there in your respective role. Whereas at Splunk, it's a completely different product for a completely different audience. And there's so many different use cases that uh, you can use Splunk for that you, you just don't have the ability to do that and to add your expertise to any of the programs that you're building. So you're a lot more reliant on the relationships that you build with product marketing and with the content marketing team. And while it's obviously different, it is, uh, it is a great Place where uh, I was able to to grow into to being able to do that and working a lot more closely with experts in product marketing for a product that, quite frankly, I just I don't use it. It's more um, or I didn't use at the time, in that it is more uh, IT and security focused. Uh, even though we have so many different use cases where you can use Splunk, at the time those were our primary use cases. So I'm obviously not an expert in IT or security. So, putting together programs and driving uh, true integrated demand generation campaigns, it was necessary to have those strong relationships with product marketing and the content marketing team and the product team. Yeah, quite frankly, because they're they're obviously shaping the business.
0: You've been there about two and a half years, and so I was just having a conversation with Tiffany, our head of marketing, and and she's working on an ABM program. For next year, which, uh, by the way, I don't know if I've ever done a selfish plug on the podcast, but I'm going to say is like, if you're listening to this podcast and you've never worked with Demand Gen, um, reach out to me and let let's talk. Because I was telling you yesterday, she was working on on the ABM strategy, and we were talking about all our different content and different channels, and we were talking about the podcast, and it was just a funny conversation. So I want to ask you, like, when you're approaching 2020, and I know you're going out on leave, or maybe you want to roll back into 2019. How far out do you do your demand generation planning in terms of the overall strategy and then the programs that you're going to do for the year? I, it was a good conversation she and I had. And I was like, you know what, maybe on the podcast with Joe, I'll talk to him about it. how far out do you figure out the content strategy and the, the various programs you're doing per, per quarter? If you could share that'd be, that'd be, I think, interesting to folks who are also doing uh, planning now for 2020.
2: Absolutely. So our fiscal year ends at the end of January. So it starts February 1st and we've started fiscal year 21 planning right now, uh, actually this week. So we're we're giving ourselves quite a bit of runway and to be completely candid with you, things um, around planning have shifted quite a bit in the years that I've been here. So we're actually okay. able to get in front of it this this time, which is great. So the idea with this is that we agree collectively from product marketing, from demand generation, from sales priorities, what thematically we should be focusing on for the first half of the year. And without diving into the details of actually how we were building out the the program level campaigns, agreeing first on what should be our focus for Q1, Q2, um, what data do we have around the successes that we've had or the failures that we've had, uh for this year how can we use that to shape what we should do next year and uh, the sales piece that i mentioned getting their feedback around what f- from the front line what are they hearing right. what use cases should we potentially look at uh, look at leveraging are there different verticals that we should be spending more time on and having product market marketing tie off on all of that to help shape thematically uh, and directionally where we should be headed
0: and for you guys, is it plan and then you get budget or are you given a budget and then you plan based on knowing what the the size of the budget is?
2: So we're also doing our budget exercise, which we, we've already completed the first round of that um, uh, this past week. And the way it's working this year is we're, we're doing our, our budget request in tandem with what the plan of record is going to be. So obviously, those are tied together very closely if we're expected to generate X dollars in pipeline that's very closely tied to the amount of budget that we have to allocate to do that. So that's all being worked on in tandem. And that doesn't necessarily shape thematically, the, at least at this point the types of campaigns that we're going to enter the market into for Q1 and Q2. Uh, towards the the second half of the year, it will become more of an issue as we we gain momentum. And, you know, we can see potentially which use cases we want to put more dollars into for, for right now. It's all an exercise that's happening uh, together.
0: Got it. So you when you go into the next fiscal year, you'll have your budget nailed down. So it sounds like incorrectly if I'm wrong on any of this, but you'll have your budget nailed down. And then as you work quarter to quarter and put your programs together, you're making sure that what you're coming up with and doing fits within that budget. Is that, do I have that right?
2: That's correct. And then we've got uh, an additional level of complexity through our sales segmentation. So we've got four different segments in America and they go from the And they're broken out by revenue bands. So our lower band is the commercial segment, which is companies that have zero to 500 million in revenue, all the way up to our higher end, which is effectively the the Fortune 100. So each one of those four segments potentially have different strategies, even though there's potentially also overlap across what we're doing. But on the higher end, it's it's more account-based. They're named accounts, obviously, the Fortune 100. And the the lower end, the commercial segment, is more transactional velocity. So those types of uh, accounts in that segment will require more more dollars towards those types of programs versus the higher end segment, where it's more high touch events, it's more experience events, more sales sales led uh, marketing, more ABM.
0: So on that note, so it's you've got these four different um, four different segments. Uh, do you then tie your budget to the specific segment? So it's, the budget's broken out by segment, it sounds like.
2: In the past, it was. What we're doing this year is just uh, requesting a full mayor budget. We may break it out by segment, but likely what we'll do is provide um, set dollar amounts that we're just going to apply across all of mayor. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll, the breaking point will likely be around field events, being that that's uh, an area where we're going to want to invest heavily, especially on the higher end side, which I mentioned, and then the opposite end of that being digital, but the the actual breakout by segment by sales segment, we're likely not doing that like we've done in the past. We want to have a full budget that will give us the flexibility to shift dollars amount based on progress that we're we're making within those sales segments.
0: Nice. And you mentioned something earlier. I want to come back to it, which is how you guys are gold. Um, to date, you guys have been gold on the pipeline that's generated by marketing, correct?
2: That is correct. So our plan of record has uh, MQLs, SQLs, sales accepted leads, and pipeline. Our main objective is to drive marketing contributed pipeline.
0: And when you're dealing with a multi-billion dollar company, the numbers that you guys got to contribute is is sizable, I would imagine. And um, how challenging is it when you look at your demand generation strategy and plan and put that together and say, OK, I know I'm going to do some things that are going to be successful. And I know we're going to do some things that will just fail on because that's that's just the way things are. Um, how do you approach the budgeting and the and the programs knowing like, hey, I've got to contribute this much revenue to pipeline. And of course, with folks like Renault and Rob and the marketing ops folks, you've got the dashboards and instruments to know what's working and and what's not. Um, how do you approach, though, the campaigns like yourself? I'm curious if you could break it down, like, you know, to know whether you're going to do an events or webinars or direct mail or, or rely on email. How do you how do you figure out w- ways to take your demand gen strategy and apply it to these different segments to ideally hit those those goals and revenue? What's the process?
2: Yeah, great question. Uh, so we've got obviously a lot of data around historically how programs have performed We know the audience segments within each of those sales segments. So we can do a little bit of forecasting through back of the envelope map that we know this channel is likely to yield X dollars in pipeline based on uh, the number of accounts that would qualify or would be part of that segment. So we do a little bit of uh, of a waterfall uh, forecasting where we literally take the number of accounts um, conversion rates historically that we have from MQL to SQL to sal, and then use our uh, ASP to attribute an actual dollar amount of pipeline that we expect to generate from those campaigns so it's it's rough estimate and there's obviously room for improvement on doing any sort of forecasting like that, but that at least will tell us directionally again how likely we are to hit our number now we always have budget applied or, or set aside to do testing where we don't have data around different programs that, that we've never done, obviously. So we want to make sure that we've got budget that we can apply to that. And we know, again, uh, historically how our other channels have performed. Yeah. So from that perspective, it, it, it ends up becoming a, a math problem.
0: What's been what's been working? What are some of the programs that you're replicating either year after year or quarter after quarter because it's producing results for you?
2: And that that's a good question because it really does vary by sales segment. So mm-hmm. if we take uh, the commercial segment, for example, webinars perform extremely well at generating pipeline, and you know conceptually that makes a lot of sense. These these companies tend to do a lot of research online before they end up speaking to a salesperson, then doing something like a webinar is a lot more palatable for a company uh, that, that of that size than potentially flying out to a trade show or industry event. And because there's just the, the volume game that we have on the commercial segment, we can get in front of a lot larger audience through webinars. And the the interesting thing about Splunk that I mentioned before, there's so many different use cases where Splunk can be applied we're able to produce a lot of content around those different use cases and by getting that content out through webinars we're able to to act pretty quickly and then there's the anecdotal feedback too that we get from from the actual sales team where they they value those leads that come through the mqls and the the hvas that come through that channel For better or worse, they value those more than some of the other channels. So there's a little bit of a self fulfilling prophecy on that front. Yeah, which is completely different than the higher end, uh, the the named account segment that I mentioned before, where it is a lot more of the high touch events. Right, we're talking more about experience events that, um, football games, ball games, happy hours, those sorts of things. In addition to what we call uh, discovery days. Things where we're doing actual on the road, road shows that go through Splunk end to end. Yeah. So there's, there's a big difference between how we approach the different segments that we have.
0: It's funny because right, right before we went on the air, I I mentioned to you, I said, hey, one of our vendor partners is, uh, has some extra tickets for their, their box at the 49er game. And I told Joe, I said, hey, Joe, if you want to go to 49er game on Monday. Um, just let me know. And that's one of those high touch marketing dollars uh, put to that. But, but Joe said, you know, I think for my first day of paternity leave, that's probably not how I should probably spend it. So Joe didn't go to that game. Um, you're, you're too humble. So I'm going to make sure that we talk about it. Um, you, you brought up the webinars and I'm glad you, you, you touched on that. Joe, a lot of people listening run webinars, but how many people do you get to attend your webinars on average?
2: Well. The, the it's there's an interesting dynamic to that because obviously it's primarily a function of the size of your database and the fortunate thing about Splunk is we've got a very sizable database built through many many years and that that leads to varying levels of success but more success than I've seen at at other companies and companies that I've been at that are substantially larger than Splunk yeah. is today yeah. So, de- depending on on the topic, and and by the way, to, to preface this and put this in a little bit more context, we've really evolved how we've done webinars. In the past, uh, we're talking several years back, we would uh, we would effectively invite every single person in the database to attend every single webinar or receive every single piece of content. So we didn't necessarily, and this goes back to the fact that we didn't have a demand generation function per se. Right.
0: yeah.
2: So we didn't necessarily have Just, just invite everybody. Just invite everyone. Doesn't matter their persona or their level of interest. We'll just include everyone. So we, we've obviously moved away from that now and we're a lot more targeted in the people that we invite, whether it's through um, their, you know, their persona, their job level, their uh, behavior and interest. But long story short, now in the past, we would maybe get a few hundred people that attended live to a webinar. So we're sending out large volumes of email promotion to yield a few hundred people that attended the webinar. And granted, those people that attended the feedback was always really positive because the content's great. Yeah. That's produced by product marketing and the content team. But now we're sending invitations to a much smaller segment of our database and yielding much higher results. So an average webinar now we would probably see around 2,000 live attendees compared to a couple hundred in the past. And we're sending uh, probably a 20th uh, of the amount of uh, emails or uh, rather a 20th of our audience would receive an email. So it ends up uh, from an efficiency standpoint, obviously being much more effective and we're not risking fatiguing our database by doing it, more like that. Yeah. So webinars, again, end up being extremely successful with this new strategy.
0: I, w- I wanted you to share that number because I think when people just heard several thousand people attending your webinars and you're doing one 20th um, in terms of the number of people that you're sending to, you know, that that hits people because a lot of people really struggle with their not only demand generation strategy on what works and what doesn't work, but if they'll do webinars, they'll get 10, 20, 30, 40 people. And, and because my team is doing campaign operations and working so closely with you, Joe, we look at the numbers and it's, it's impressive as hell. I mean, it's really great to see you guys delivering, like you said, such great content that people want to attend. And in terms of the lead quality, right? If you think about a webinar, anybody who's going to register, let alone commit their time and attend to a webinar and learn about your solution, they're probably a qualified, at least an MQL, right? They're not, they're not a false positive in terms of their level of interest. If they're sitting through a webinar or or registering for that, um, what else is working? What else are you doing? in Demand generation and pick a segment if you want that you find is, is a good part of your mix that, uh, you're replicating, uh, over and over. Well,
2: first, if you don't mind, I'll go back and I'll give you, um, give demand gen a little bit of, of a promotion as well, because for, for those listening, we obviously work with demand gen, uh, on the campaign execution level. And a lot of what I described with our evolution and going from what we had done several years ago to what we're doing now with our refined segmentation, our, uh, updated email template, the updated, updated flow in general, which goes beyond just webinars. It goes to, to literally everything we're doing digitally. Your team has been integral in helping us execute that at scale. We've been working with DemandGen for many years, and they help my team instrumentally in the, the volume of programs that we put together. It would be extremely difficult to get that out the door with the, the, the team that we have. So by leveraging your team, Dave, we're able to, to really get to the level of scale that we need to for the, to your point earlier. The, the the large pipeline number that we are held accountable to it would almost be impossible to achieve that if we didn't have the support of your team to do that.
0: Well, thanks, Joe. I I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, I vividly remember the uh, the meeting that we had at your office, and you and I were talking about your day to day work, and you were very hands on, very involved in your instance of Eloqua and building these campaigns, and. You know, I would ask the question when you ask a question to somebody like, hey, how's everything going? Oh, I'm busy. I'm really busy. And I said to you in so many words, I said, Joe, have you ever thought of, you know, relinquishing the responsibility for building and executing these campaigns? Because in some way, two things. One, you're you're the throttle. You're the governor on your demand generation activity. If all that work has to be done by you and you're coming up with a strategy. But you're also executing the programs. I said, you know, why don't you outsource that? And I mentioned to you that you know we have what 30 plus clients that day to day we launch and build all of their uh, campaigns. And and you kind of looked at me like. Hmm. And like is that a sales pitch or is that something I should really consider and do? So, I'm glad we are where we are today and and as you know, now Splunk is engaging us to do this globally for all the the business and and we helped uh build the business case for having a global demand center and so so you were the first to take a bet on us and start to outsource that so that you could work more on strategy and less on the tactics. And now we're doing that globally for you guys. So I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, and, and it's a trend, it's, it's look, we can all choose how we spend our time every day and we only have a limited amount of time. So we can either work on strategy and big ideas or we can you know, get our hands dirty and work inside the tools like you, I myself do enjoy it. Like I, I still in my role, love to geek out and work inside the tools. And every time a new hot piece of Martech comes out and looks like it's going to get traction in the market, I do like to go through it and, and learn it either by their product managers showing it to me. Um let, let me ask you that too, in terms of the martech stack and the tools that you have clearly you're very dependent on marketing automation is there another um set of tools or or um, methods for your demand generation strategy that you you've also become very um wed to uh, and and use
2: yeah i mean obviously the uh, attribution that we have we're, we're using visible for our marketing attribution that that is key obviously in, in driving strategy. And showing the performance of marketing, so we've got a seat at the table when we go into those meetings uh, monthly or end of quarter with our sales counterparts to actually show tangible results of what marketing's done and less anecdotal results. Uh, outside of that, there's a piece of technology called Integrate that we we leverage for our paid programs. So effectively, what they do is they allow us to ensure that leads we're bringing in are clean, accurate leads. So they'll do data appends on top of that, and they'll make sure that they're valid emails and phone numbers that are coming into our database. And, you know, that's actually one area too, where we made a lot of progress in the past. We would spend dollars for content syndication, paid search, all the digital channels you would expect. But the metric that we were using was simply number of leads generated. Mm -hmm. And that's effectively where it ended. There was there didn't go, there was no breakdown beyond that, that went to any sort of pipeline number or even anything around valid leads that were uh, captured. So by adding integrate into, into our, our Martech stack, we're ensuring that the dollars that we spend for something like content syndication, we're getting the correct type of leads. And if they're not, then they will get rejected through the system and we won't have to pay them. So we won't We won't be allocating dollars towards potentially bogus leads or uh, not the correct leads that we've agreed with the vendors to receive. So that simply by integrating, integrate into our MarTech stack, we've been able to save a lot of money across the time that we've had that from uh, marketing dollars that would have otherwise potentially been wasted through leads that had bad data associated with them. So that has been a, a key piece of technology that we've, been leveraging in our, um, in the different paid programs that we have.
0: Nice. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that I mentioned Visible and and Integrate, two tools that we see in in a lot of our client environments and two tools, especially visible, uh, more and more, it's interesting. You guys use Eloqua as your platform, but use visible for analytics, which is, um, with Adobe and you're one of those two footed soccer players, right, Joe, you've, you've used Marketo in your career and you've also used, um, Eloqua and and certainly learned to adapt to whatever platform you have. But it sounds like you've got some other tools that, that are essential in your stack. Um, you mentioned sales a couple of times, and you started your career in sales, which you said. I, I pictured Wolf of Wall Street, by the way, with you dialing for dollars, um, <laughs> seeing, seeing Joe too, there at the phone. Not too far off. Not too far off. Um, it makes you very empathetic, right? And and also a good partner to sales because you come from sales and you know what um, the job entails, right? If you were if you were doing all those outbound calls and trying to sell equities or various products to people, and they're and they're clearly not. Um, a good target. You're just wasting your time, right? So nobody, whoever has worked in sales, then works in marketing, um, forgets that 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 you really want qualified sales. What have you guys been doing there at Spunk in terms of ways that you've brought sales and marketing uh, together? If you could share,
2: absolutely. And and I'll even take take it one step further. The leads that we would get when I was doing sales, and this is going back many many years, so I'm sure things have, have changed quite a bit, but. The leads we would get through different marketing channels were always negatively perceived. So there, there wasn't great sales and marketing alignment when I was doing sales at those companies. And that was eye opening too when I moved into marketing that that is key to educate and align with the sales team so they know not just the, the types of campaigns that you're doing, but they know the type of messaging, the types of personas that you're going after. And while it's not necessary to go into to robust detail, with sales or sales leadership, it is really important to communicate out what we're doing and tie that to enablement, especially at a company like Splunk, where again, there's so many use cases and there's so many different types of marketing programs that we can put together. If we're not communicating with sales, what we're putting into market and what the, the forecasted results will be, especially as it relates to sales development, the SDR and BDR team, which which are on the front line for everything that we're sending through, if they don't understand the messaging and the perceived volume that we'll get from these programs, they won't be as successful as they can be. So communication is key. I spend probably half my week doing sales related meetings or sales related activities; the other half with marketing, and that is just it, it's a necessary part of the job in order to be successful. And there's different levels. Uh, of that communication that, that I think are important. One is always sharing the types of campaigns that you're running and soliciting their feedback. And by the way, too, I recommend, and probably a lot of your listeners do this already, but if not, I highly recommend that you actually get on the phone and listen in to a lot of sales calls when you have the time to do that because that gives you firsthand experience and empathy for what the team is going through. And you won't get any better line of sight into that than actually listening to the calls.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that. I, I amplify that all the time. I don't know how many people take that advice. I've certainly said it here on the podcast and I wrote about it in my book, manufacturing demand, which if you have not read my book and you're a listener, um, go grab a hard copy, uh, off Amazon or wherever you buy books, or if you want a free digital version of the book, uh, you can get one on uh, demandgen.com in the resources area. It's called Manufacturing Demand, and I talk about that. I talk about Training Day with the Denzel Washington uh, movie and, and and the importance of riding along and learning it. Now it doesn't end well for them in the in the movie, but um, you learn so much. And sales should do the same thing. Like sit with marketing if they'll if they'll let you and work on a social media post or work on a blog post or work on some piece of content and watch how hard it is to get the messaging really succinct and, and come up with a call to action and, and get someone to engage. The more we walk in each other's shoes, the more we understand the challenges. And I, you and I have talked about this. I think that marketing categorically is horrible at marketing marketing let me say that again, marketing is bad at marketing, marketing, right? So many companies don't know what the marketing department is doing and working on. And, and, um, there's just really bad communication, uh, between sales and marketing. So not only do they feel that the leads suck, which when you were describing, I was thinking of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross with the leads are weak, you're weak. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a great movie that really represents that, that feeling that sales has when, uh, when you know, lead quality is not good. And um, if, if marketing and sales could just spend more time in the room together, the leadership team talking about the demand generation programs and the sales goals uh, and how aligned you guys are there, um, it just works. I mean, how did you guys get from zero to a billion dollars and now over $2 billion, right? Really great culture, really great passion for growing and a great product and and you guys do, do a, a good job. Um, one other question for you before we wrap up. Uh, we mentioned before that you are gold on pipeline generated, but that looks like that's going to be changing in the future, right? You guys are going to move to to tying uh, yourself to the, the revenue. How do you feel about that?
2: So I, I in the, the program development that we're doing, we, we also do attribution by booking. So we look at Program optimization, not just from pipeline that's generated, but we're we're already looking at the bookings that's associated with the campaigns we're running. So there's been talk, to your point, about moving more towards uh, a marketing contributed revenue metric, and I'm all for that. By the way, I think that that is uh, a natural evolution because pipeline is only a part of the view, and if we're creating pipeline that's not closing, how impactful to the business is that really? Now closing pipeline is clearly more of a function of sales. But from a marketing perspective, we want to produce the type of pipeline that's going to be more likely to close. So I'm fully embracing and looking forward to, to being held accountable from a stricter uh, standpoint to revenue. I don't know if it's going to happen uh, this coming year, but I definitely foresee that happening in the near future. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are companies, again, where, with, with your audience that are already doing that, and it, from my perspective, it, it makes sense. And some companies even go beyond that and they're tying marketing comp to, to that very metric, which again, helps create alignment. And if the sales team feels like marketing is in the trenches with them, because not only are they, uh, are they tied to them through pipeline, but they're tied to them through actual closed one deals, there's more alignment there inherently. And I think sales will, will respect that
0: for sure, well, yeah, people have mixed feelings about it. Uh, I personally have liked it in my career, where tied to revenue, uh, because I love to put numbers up on the board and show the contribution. I also find that you mentioned visible, right? When you have the tools and you have the marketing programs that are driving revenue, and you can show the impact, you get a lot more budget because you you can explain what's working and what the contribution to the business is. So it's worthwhile. Um, Joe, thank you for the time, especially in the week leading up to your uh, time off. I hope you enjoy that. I know you will enjoy that. uh, And that is a gift. Just incredible. So proud of you and the team, the work that you guys have done there. I mean, you've really taken a department that didn't exist and created and transform um, how the company goes to market. They were smart enough to realize that what got them there was not going to get them to the next level of growth and have invested quite a bit in marketing and and built a really world class team uh you and rob and renown and, and others there included and thank you again for the shout out to my team uh and and they love working with you guys and joe you're just you're so specific and so intentional and and you get shit done and um they really enjoy working with you it's at, when you're on the agency side and you're working with a client that wants to change the world and have a big impact and is willing to put the effort into it. It's it's great. So thank you.
2: Well, likewise, thank you so much, Dave, and really enjoyed being on the podcast today.
0: Enjoyed having you, and again, uh, I, I enjoy your time off. I'll say to everybody: if if Joe is not in your network, go to LinkedIn, uh, do a search for Joe J O E, and then last name Peon. P-A-O-N-E, get Joe in your network. He probably won't respond to you for for several weeks. Who knows? But um, great guy to have in your network. And if you want to continue the conversation with him and have some questions to bounce off, I'm sure he'd be open to that. But that's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Thanks for everybody joining me on the program. Thank you, Joe, and give my best to the team. Take care. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player.